Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Such good truth, the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus that cannot, cannot be overcome. It's so good to, uh, to be here and to sing with you. Uh, and for those of you who pay attention to such things and are going, I think Jesse and Josh are wearing the same shirt. We are not. Uh, they are remarkably similar colors. Um, and for those of you in the room, you can note later that Sky is wearing a remarkably similar color, which by my estimation puts us halfway toward boy band domination. So I think we are, we are well, well on our way. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, before, before I make a smooth transition from that into a sermon on story, and we wrap up our sermon series that we've been in on, on a story worth telling, I want to tell you a story about a church. Uh, this story is about the kind of church that, uh, where, where people write encouraging notes and stuff to each other just, just to, to love each other well. Uh, it's the story about the, the kind of church where people don't wait for the, the church leadership to tell them what to do. They just go love their, their neighbors. Uh, this is a story about a church where uh, somebody texted their small group um, and, and said, hey, will, will you guys pray for me? I'm going to go invite my, my neighbor and walk down the street and go invite my neighbor to come to church with me. And, and the small group prayed with her and, and her friend said yes to coming to church. And the small group is able to celebrate that. Uh, this, this story is, is about a church where, uh, where a single parent needed a car. So uh, another couple in the church just gave them a car. And then that single parent looked around and saw a family in greater need than them, so said, well, I'll just pass along the car. Uh, it's, it's about a church where sometimes uh, people are aware of each other's needs, um, and so they'll just give hundreds of dollars to help cover bills or whatever the needs uh, may be. Uh, it's a, a story about a church where the, the kids and the teenagers are taught well that God loves them, but not all of them believe it. But they keep coming back week after week because what they do know is that the adults who are there do love them, and so they'll keep coming week after week. And this is a story about a church where one of those kids who just kept coming uh, gave his life to Jesus on Easter because he finally realized that God loves him. And this story, uh, if you haven't caught on already, this story is a story I can tell because this is your story. This is a story about you as a church, about church family. It's not, not about an organization with a, a name and a, and a sign out front. This is, this is a story about a church of people who take their Savior's command to love each other seriously and who go out and do it. When you give financially to the church or to each other, you are part of this story. When you serve and sacrifice for one another, you are writing, creating this story. 
when you are generous with your resources, whether that's time or money or energy, you're creating this story, whether that's passing on your stimulus check or that is talking to Jolene about how you can be one of those adults that loves kids because whatever teaching skills you think you have or you don't have don't matter nearly as much as whether you can show up and love them well and let them know that they're loved. Or, or maybe when you are praying for our church, when you're praying for our volunteers, when, when you're praying for our financial situation, when you're praying for the needs of the, the hurting people in our church family, you're helping create this story. And it's a good story. So, so thank you. Uh, I feel so blessed to be a part of it. Uh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the, the story that God is writing in and through you. This isn't something we're creating on our own. This is something God is up to. This is something he has been doing and will continue to do. There are good chapters ahead in this story. God is doing exciting things in your life and through your life. And it writes the story, a beautiful story of of a church that's having an impact on one another and on the community around us. So, uh, so thank you for being a part of this. Please keep uh, giving, keep sacrificing, keep serving, keep sharing, keep telling this story because it is a good story and good things are still coming. So thank you very much. Okay, so now let's wrap up our series on story. We've been talking about our lives as a story, and we want to live lives that are a story worth telling, a story that has meaning, that somehow recaptures meaning in, in a life that can sometimes seem so meaningless or pointless at, at different points in different ways. Now, one of the things that is true when an author goes to write a story is the page is blank. They may have some ideas in their head. They may have a whole world created in their head. They may know exactly where they're going with their story, but the page is blank. And that's simply not true of our stories. From the moment you were born, there were things on the page already. There was a history to your story from your parents, from the socioeconomic, the place, whatever it may be that you're born into. These things already affect your story. And certainly today, as we talk about changing the stories, as we talk about a, a new story, a story worth telling. If you want to go in any different direction in your story, it's not a blank page. There's a history you're building on. That, that to, to write a new story is going to require some changes. And when I say the word change, like six of you break out in hives. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't really do change. I don't, really, I don't really know about that. Uh, in fact, uh, we have a, a, a graph uh, that I'd love to put up, and I'll, I'll get out of the way so you guys can see this, about how people go through change. I know that uh, writing is a little small, so I'm just I'm going to go through this. So all the way on uh, your left there, this is actually, if you can read the title, it's, it's about innovation, which is a fancy business word for change, for causing change. So the, the small uh, little wedge there all the way on your left says innovators. These are the people who disrupt, who create change, who see something that could be better, and so they go for it, okay? So that's, that's innovators. They're, they're creating change. The, the next group is the early adopters. 
Okay? So these are the people who may not be going out and creating the disruption, but they're happy to benefit from it. These are the people who are uh, in line at the Apple store 48 hours ahead of the new iPhone coming out so they can camp out and make sure that they get that new cool thing that's going to make their life better somehow because people still believe Apple products do that. Whatever. That's a different discussion. So uh, I had to get a dig in. I'm sorry. Okay, so the group after that, uh, that, that would be the early majority. And for those of you who are math people, by this point, we're up to 50%. Okay, so there's, there's the 50% mark there. So uh, the early adopters are the people who they're not going to camp out. Uh, they're going to wait for the crowds to, to move aside. And then, then they'll go in and they'll get their cool new gadget. Uh, and then after that, we, we hit uh, the, the second 50%. The biggest chunk there is the late majority. The late majority. I, I, I would put myself in this category personally. I'm, I'm not so much on the, the hop on the new cool train of anything. Um, the, the best way I can describe the thinking of, of this group, and maybe this is, this is just me, but it'll work as an example. If, for instance, the cool new thing was to walk across hot coals, I would be happy to let you do that first. Okay, so go right ahead and I'll see how burned you get. And if it looks okay, maybe I'll join you. So what that means is uh, I'm generally catching up to what's cool about two years in, right? As it's going out of what's cool. And that's been true since I cared what was cool. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm never quite on the ball, but um, I don't get burned as much as the rest of y'all. So there's that. Um, so that's, that's the late majority. And then the last category, they say laggards on this graph. Uh, I've heard traditionalists. Um, I think I'm, I might define myself as late majority because it just feels better to me than being in this laggard category. See, if, if, it, was, if it was still up to me, like if it, if it was up to me, we'd, we'd all still be using Word 95, right, with little Clippy hopping around. And it worked fine. It worked fine for what I needed it to do. Why do we need to make changes to stuff? It's fine. Clippy was so helpful. Actually, no, he wasn't, he wasn't helpful at all. I'm really glad we got rid of him. He was cute, though. He was a cute little paperclip. You guys remember a little paperclip? Okay, anyway, so uh, no, what we have now is much better. I'm glad that there are innovators, change creators who, who make things that are, are better. Uh, I, uh, I just don't hop on those trains real fast. There's a lot of us, I mean, according to this graph, 50% of us who are on the back half of change who go, yeah, that's not really my thing. And yet last week, we talked about how Jesus says, look, I'm making all things new. And we go, yes, he's going to make all things new. That's so good. Or uh, how about this verse? This is uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Some of you may have heard this before. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. We say, yes, yes, the old me is gone, the new has come, the new has begun, that's so good. See, we like new when we like the new. <laughs> we, we actually, I, I think, like the results of change. We just don't like the process of change, the process that most of us resist. Even early adopters, even those innovators, I would argue the innovators are in that category because they're saying, I would rather create the change than wait and see what change is done to me. So I'll just be on top of this, and that way I get to determine what change happens. We don't mind new. It's the process that's the problem. 
And the reality of the moment we're in, I, I believe, this is just my observation, the reality of the moment we're in is that things have changed. We are different people as a society than we were 18 months ago. That the last year plus of things that we never dreamed we'd experience, I mean, I'm, I'm looking out at a room full of people in masks 18 months ago, I never would have imagined. And that doesn't even count all the social and political unrest that we've gone through, the division that has always been there, I think, but it becomes so much clearer to us, division that we're going to have to do something about, not just ignore and move on. Change has happened. We are changed. Things continue to change. So here's the question for us this morning. For those of you who like to take notes, this is the first note for you to fill in. Here's the question. In all this change, will you choose to grow? Will you choose to grow? It is not will you choose to change. Things are changing. The question is, will you choose to grow? In Christ, we have been offered new life. Living things grow. Growing things change. Change will be a part of it. So will you choose to live? Will you choose to grow and change? Okay. This, like many of the things we've been talking about, is going to have to be something that is done on purpose. When we just let the circumstances around us change, we may change, but we may not grow because we're not putting attention to what areas we need to grow in, to the things that are happening around us that might cause us to grow or give us the opportunity to grow. And before we choose life, as we saw in that 2 Corinthians verse, before we choose life, there are uh, some things that we're going to need to bury. And and so here's the truth about change, and I think it's the primary reason why so many of us resist change. Every change requires loss. Every change requires loss. And some of these are obvious. When a loved one is no longer there, either through their death or because they left, that change is obvious and the loss in it is obvious. We, we clearly understand what we have lost there. When you lose a dream or a job or a safety net, we see the loss in that change. But even good things have losses. When you get married, if you are married, I hope that when you got married, you believed that was a good change. I don't know if you still do. We can talk about that some other time. But at the time, you believed that was a good change. But there are things that you lost. The ability to make life-changing decisions without affecting other people, gone. Being able to make completely independent decisions that don't affect the people around you on how you're going to spend your time, on what you're going to take care of around the house, is gone. Uh, having a baby. 
when uh, Wendy and I had our kids. These were good changes. We were excited about them. When our eldest was born, particularly, there are things we lost. Space, for instance. In every corner of my house, it is full of something. (laughs) Yeah, yes. You know how that goes. Yes. Space. Sleep. You lose sleep. Lots of sleep. We're just starting to get back to the point of sleep again. And then in a few years, she's going to start driving, and then it'll all be gone again. Okay, but sleep. You lose. There are things you lose, even in, in the good changes. Uh, when uh, I changed jobs and, and stepped into this role, I don't know if you think that's a good change, and I don't want to. I felt like it was good, uh, and, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. There are things I lost. I lost the ability to work so closely with our teenagers and do youth ministry, which is a, a job that I, I loved, and, and a group of people that is amazing to be. We have awesome teenagers here. I had to uh, lose my commitment over the last few years, I suppose. I have lost this commitment to something that I said so, uh, with so much conviction, I guess, early in my career. When uh, I started out in youth ministry almost two decades ago now, and uh, people would come up to me, and, and the tactful people would say, hey, so when do you think you're becoming a, a senior pastor? Uh, and the less tactful people would say things like, so when are you going to be a real pastor? Mm. Not a fan of that one. And, and I was convinced, honestly, it wasn't just my stubbornness against their tactlessness, although that happens too, but uh, I, I really was convinced that I had, I had no intention of doing anything other than youth ministry. I was going to do youth ministry for my whole career, and my wife is laughing because she didn't, she was not convinced of that, but, but I was. I, I, and I had to let go of this conviction that I had that that's how things were going to go. There, there's losses even in the good changes. And some of these losses obviously are so much harder than others. But if we don't acknowledge the losses in the change going on around us, those losses begin to pile up. They begin to just sort of sit at our feet and pile up around us. And if we don't actually pick them up and say, okay, I I lost this. I'm gonna come to grips with having lost this. Again, some of that's going to be pretty simple. Like, yeah, I lost this, but man, in light of what I have, this is so much better, this change. Others are going to be really hard. It's like, wow, I lost this, and I can't ever get this back. I heard a pastor say recently that he believes, whatever it's worth, that over the next couple of years, we as a society are going to be hit by a tidal wave of grief. Essentially, what's happening there is that for this last 12 to 15 months, so many of us just keep pushing. We just, okay, we're in survival mode. We're just going to keep going. And as long as we just keep going and don't pay attention to the losses we're experiencing in those changes, the things that we may never get back, they're just going to pile up until they crash over us like a tidal wave. 
Now, I don't think there's anything I or you can do about our society's experience of that grief in the next couple of years, if that is indeed coming. But there are things each of us can do in our own lives to say, oh, I'm not gonna let this pile up. I'm not gonna let this catch up to me and crash over me. So one step to choosing to grow is to count the loss, to count the loss. Engage in in the changes going on around you by counting the loss. Maybe it's looking back at what you've been through and and acknowledging what it cost you, acknowledging what you lost. Maybe it's looking forward to the changes that you can see coming and acknowledging these are the losses I'm going to experience as these come. To talk to people who have been through the things that you're headed toward and to say, okay, what losses am I going to experience here? Help me navigate through this. To talk to people who have gone through the same things that you've gone through. I say, hey, I think we lost this. And this is kind of awful. And to process it, to count it, to acknowledge it. Maybe for you, you just journal. Maybe you pay somebody to talk to you about these things and, and you go to counseling. That's also great. And by all means, in the midst of all of it, pray about it. Talk to God about it. We sometimes get this idea that, that God is orchestrating these changes or, or that God just wants us to focus on the positive things in our life. And, and so we should just go to him with, with gratitude all the time. And we definitely should go to him in gratitude. Please don't hear me say anything against that. But, but we also need to count the losses. In fact, Jesus himself said that, or he was talking to his, his disciples about following him at all. about about people making the decision to follow after him. And and we might expect Jesus to say, come on, guys, this is gonna be great. You're gonna see all these amazing things. We're gonna stop at Disneyland on the way to Jerusalem. It's gonna be awesome. You should totally come. And and that's not quite what he said. So uh, I actually wanna look at exactly what he said. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus said to them, but don't begin. Don't, Don't begin following me. Don't even start on this journey until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? He doesn't paint a rosy picture of ease and comfort. That's not what he's calling people to. What he's inviting them into is a process of growth, of learning from him, of learning by following and watching him, It's a process of of growing who they are, of being grown by him. And he doesn't promise ease and comfort because growing is never easy or comfortable. Growing is never easy or comfortable. So he says we should count the cost, the cost of the growth that is coming, the sacrifices that we may have to make, the cost of the things that we have been through, whether it's journaling, talking it out, count the loss. As, we've, as we face the, the changes we've experienced or, or the growth in front of us, counting the loss is acknowledging what is gone so that we can fully face the new things that are coming. So if, if one step to choosing to grow in the midst of change is to count what was and is no longer, then another step must be 
to count the things that aren't yet, but are to come. So one step to choosing to grow in the midst of change is to name the new beginnings. We name the new beginnings. Again, some of these are obvious. Uh, A marriage, a baby, a new job, a new school, a new town. Some of these are less obvious, maybe harder to name. Empty nesting is a new beginning. Becoming the patriarch of your family after your father died. Beginning to trust again after being hurt. These are new beginnings. Things that may take some time, but, but are starting. Some are even more subtle. After the year we've had, maybe you're beginning the next chapter with new perspective, new appreciations, new passions. If there's something new in your life, name it. Write it down. Talk to somebody about it, especially if you are married or in some way doing life with other people and you see these new things happening. Talk about it. Be on the same page as you step into this new chapter. Name the new thing and what you think about it, what you feel about it, process it. Maybe you chose this new beginning and and maybe not. But either way, it is part of the next chapter. So know what new beginnings your story is experiencing. And then before I move any farther, I just want to take a second to talk to anybody and everybody who is tired because that may not be everybody, but I think it's a lot of us, that as we continue to push and strive through, as we've been in some form of fight or flight survival mode for a year plus now, a lot of people are tired. And this process of stopping and naming things and acknowledging stuff, it feels so soft and it feels pointless, and what good is it gonna do? I just need to keep going, and I promise you, it's not pointless. I promise you, it'll be worth your time. Because to just keep floating through life, letting the changes happen around you, not acknowledging how it is affecting you, not acknowledging the loss of opportunity or the new opportunities in front of you, not acknowledging the ways that the change is creating growth or creating growth opportunities for you, is to simply allow circumstances to continue to tell your story. And if we're gonna tell a story worth telling, if we're gonna capture meaning in our story, if we're gonna be intentional about the story we're telling with our lives, it's going to take some intentional, some purposeful attention to the losses and the new beginnings, to the changes that are happening, to the opportunities in front of us. It's gonna require some patience with ourselves, It's going to require some awareness of what's going on around us. It is worth it. So if you are tired, here's a crazy thought. Stop and breathe and rest and take some time to process the things that are going on around you. So attend to the losses and the new starts. And then this one is equally important. Choose your standard for growth. Choose your standard for growth. For growth, and, and this might sound academic, uh, and in the academic world, there are standards, right? Not just standards of behavior, but there are standards for students, things that, that they need to prove that they can do 
so that they can be moved on to the next step. Right? Standards for uh, some sort of demonstration that they're growing in, in skills and knowledge. But, but this isn't just an academic exercise. This is far more personal than that. For instance, like a lot of parents, Wendy and I occasionally will look at our children and go, oh my goodness, those pants don't fit again. We just bought you those pants two weeks ago. Go over to this door frame. We're going to measure you and prove that you've gotten taller. And sure enough, every two weeks or whatever, they get taller. Or a year, whatever it is that we choose to measure it, depending on how well we're paying attention to our children, I guess. We, we measure their growth. We say, this is the standard of your size. We measure their height. Uh, like most parents, public school parents anyway, we get a report card mailed to us every so often that lets us know how our children are doing with those standards. Are they meeting? Are they exceeding? Are they falling a little behind the standards for their learning? We have ways of measuring these standards. But as a parent, are these really, I mean, are height and grades really the standards I'm going to measure my kids' growth by? They're the easiest to. They're the most obvious. But no, I want to measure my kids' growth by the growth in their character. As you grow and change, as you launch into new beginnings, how are you going to measure the growth of these new things in your life? How are you going to measure your growth? Is it going to be how much money is in the bank account? How many awards are on the wall? How much more time or or how many more toys you have for entertainment? Can I suggest character? The character would be the measure of your growth. Who you are will always be a better measure of a life than what you acquire. And we know this. Whether you're tuning in as a Jesus follower or not, you know this. Who we are is always a better better measure of a life than what we acquire. But what is the standard for that growth? For, for my kids, what, what is the standard for me to hold up to say, this, this is what I want to see in your character growth? It's not me. I know that much. I'm, I'm a mess. My character is, is better now than it was five years ago and five years before that, and I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful and working toward my character being better five years from now than it is today, but, but I am far from perfect And of course, my kids, as all kids are of their parents, are very, very aware of my imperfections and the ways that I fall short. So it's not not me, and it's not anybody I know, no no offense, but y'all are a mess too. We We just are. We know this. That's not anything that you... I mean, if you walked in this morning and go, man, I hope nobody else knows I'm a mess. Like, come on, y'all. <laughs> come on. We, we know. 
We know. Now, I, I see parts in other people's lives that I want to emulate, that I want my kids to emulate. Frankly, there are things in my kids, in their character, that I want to emulate. I, I, I had somebody the other day tell me that my kids do an amazing job of bringing out the best in other people. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to I do that. I want to bring out the best in, in other people. But what I want is a standard, a, a person who doesn't just have some things that I want to emulate, but has all the things I want to emulate. I mean, if we're going to set a standard, that standard needs to be perfect. Like that, that standard needs to be immovable. If I have a standard, I go, yes, I want to reach this standard. And then when I don't, the standard just goes, yeah, all right. We'll just, we'll just bring that down for you to jump over it. You know, I, I haven't grown. No, I, I need a standard that's not going to move to my shortcomings, but a standard that is full of grace for all of the ways that I fail because I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know my kids aren't going to be perfect. But somehow there needs to be a, a, a perfect, immovable standard full of grace And, and while I'm, I'm open to conversations, if, if people know of other options, the, the only option, the only standard I have found, the only person I have found who has all the things I want to emulate, who is perfect and full of grace and loves me enough to want the best for me, is Jesus. And I know that he has grace and truth and love for you too. You can trust him to be a solid standard and a loving helper for you as you grow. And if, if change is, is about leaving behind what was to step into something new, if, if, if change is about letting old things die to be able to step into new life. Jesus is kind of an expert on bringing life out of death. Forgiveness of failures, newness of life, perfect grace, all in one person. All in the person of Jesus Christ who not only offers to be that standard, but offers to sit with us while we count the cost, to sit with us while we name the new beginnings, who offers to journey with us, be in relationship with us, to extend grace, to love us when we fail, to pick us up and help us keep going. All in one person. So to wrap up here, let's, let's see if, we can bring these two ideas I've talked about this morning together. Uh, in a letter to the Ephesian church, the early uh, church leader and Jesus follower named Paul writes to the Ephesian church that it's really important, it's needed for everyone to use their, their skills and their gifts to love others and to be 
the church. And, and then he writes this in, in Ephesians chapter four. So he's just gotten done saying, these are gifts that God gives to people to use to bless others. And he continues in verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Part of choosing to grow in the midst of change is to grow together. We grow together. Growing in community provides protection for those tender new shoots of new life, new beginnings, provides the challenge for you to help you rise to the standard and, and provides that support and grace when you inevitably fail at some part of that standard. And I, I know some people are gonna say, but, but Josh, I don't, I don't trust people. Okay. So it sounds like there may be a new beginning there for you of, of learning to trust. A, a slow process, a journey, but a new beginning. Or they might say, but, but Josh, people don't seem to like me very much. Well, it sounds like there may be an opportunity there to grow. But Josh, people are jerks, and I certainly can't get into conversations with those people who have that other political view that I do because they're idiots and I can't handle it. Mm. Sounds like there might be an opportunity for you to grow in endurance and patience. But Josh, I don't think anyone can help me. Fine. Show up and help them. This isn't really about you. This is about the work that God is up to in you and in us. We need to be in a community of people. We all need to be in a community of people who are pursuing the same standard. Jesus and only Jesus. Pursuing the same standard, Jesus and only Jesus, because there is no number of parties or political parties or decisions you can be a party to that hold up as a standard, that hold up as an example of our growth, that will create the growth in us that we need. that provide that immovable standard and that perfect grace. We need to be in a group of people who are pursuing Jesus together so that we can get there together. So acknowledge the losses. Name the new beginnings. Choose your standard and choose a group of people to go after that standard with. 
to be in relationship with, to be in relationship with Jesus together. Let the Jesus who knows all about new life help you to live differently, to live a story worth telling, to live a story of meaning. We count the losses. We name the new beginnings. We grow together. We grow with Jesus as he grows in and through us, as he works in and through us to create meaning, to create a story that we will love to tell. So let's pray into that story together. Will you pray with me? Father God, I I know that I cannot grow in these ways on my own. I know, I know that I will just sit back and let the changes happen because I really like comfortable and easy. So Father, I, I need you to work growth in me. Father, we need you to work growth in each of us, to work growth in us as a church family, to work growth in us as a community of people who are following you. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this invitation into relationship. Thank you that you will sit with us while we mourn the hard things, while we get excited about the new things, while we get afraid of the new things or the things that are missing in our life. Thank you for sitting with us in our fear and our joy and our hope and for continually calling us out of comfortable and easy and inviting us to grow. Thank you for growing us, for your faithful grace to us, for your invitation to each of us for more, more life, more meaning. Father, thank you for your presence with us as we process these things. Thank you for your work in us to grow us. Thank you for your love for us. And we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.